Father, we do pray especially for Debbie today. I just ask that you, well, Father, first of all, we just ask that you just take this cancer out of her body, and we know you can do that right now as we pray. That's, that would be our choice, Lord, and, and we just hope that you would do that. But Lord, you, your ways sometimes are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts, and so no matter how you handle this, Lord, just, just give Debbie the assurance that you're with her, Lord, that uh, you're there every step of the way. Lord, give her comfort, uh, give her peace. Uh, Lord, I pray for her family during this trial that you'll just, you'll just uh, uh, comfort them too and, and just fill them with your Holy Spirit so that, that uh, they can minister in a special way to Debbie. And then, Lord, as a church, anything that we can do, just show us. And, Lord, we want to be there with her through this entire process. And, Lord, we just, we just again, just pray for special strength on, on her and her family during this time. Father, as we come to the book of Hebrews today in chapter number 8, we get the great news about the new covenant versus the old covenant, Lord, and how the new covenant has made the old covenant obsolete because there's just so many better things about the new covenant. Lord, I just pray today that uh, you'll, you'll show us just how much better the new covenant is for those that, that have never received Jesus Christ, Lord, those that have never uh, been part of the new covenant. Let today be the day of their salvation, Lord. Just work in their hearts as we go through this text because there's such good news here, Lord. We're in a tough, we all live in a tough world. There's tough things that happen to, to all of us and it's tougher things on some people, Lord. But the good news is that, that in Jesus Christ, uh, just all things are going to work out for our good. We just know that, Lord. We have to believe that and, and uh, we just thank you for the great news of the new covenant. Just show us more about it today. Uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask that in Christ's name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, and we'll be in chapter number 8 today, the book of Hebrews chapter number 8. Those of you who know Winford, look at him pop up there, know that he still carries around a flip phone, believe it or not. And every time he pulls that thing out, he's going to pull it out now. Every, every time he pulls that thing out, I say, get rid of that obsolete doohickey. He thinks I'm talking about his wife, but no, I'm, I'm, that was a joke. <laughs> I had to pick on Dan. She picks on me all the time. Now, get rid of that foam, Winford. Uh, it's obsolete. You need to be done with it. I, I saw, I had the privilege this past week of uh, seeing a pastor screen of the uh, new movie by the Kendrick Brothers called The War Room. Uh, man, you look forward to that. That's coming out August the 28th, and we'll try to get a group to go, go to, to see that together. But that's the best of their movies so far. They did uh, Fireproof and Facing the Giants and some other movies, and uh, so uh, we'll, we'll try to get a group up to see that. But but one of the characters, actually the main character in the movie, is this elderly black lady, and, and she has a flip phone. And Priscilla Shire, who plays one of the main characters too, kind of uh, kids her about that flip phone. And at one point in the movie, she says, well, I guess if you have a smartphone, I have a dumb phone. And uh, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Why is, a, why is a flip phone dumb? Because it's obsolete. There's better phones. They, they, they've been replaced by smartphones. Uh, 
And so what's all that got to do with the book of Hebrews? Well, in today's text, the author of Hebrews is going to show us that the old covenant, based with his emphasis upon the law, has been made obsolete by the new covenant. It's been replaced by a much better covenant. And uh, it's as if he's screaming out in this text, uh, get rid of that obsolete doohickey. I mean, put away the law. Uh, you're no longer under law. You're under grace. And, and there's some serious warnings that he's given us in the text uh, that we had better do just that, that we had better put the old covenant away and, and uh, find ourselves under the new covenant. I mean, if we don't, uh, he warns us that if we don't enter the rest of Jesus Christ, that which we have in the new covenant, we never could have that in the old covenant. We're going to see that today. But if we don't enter that rest, then, then uh, there's, there's a danger that we'll end up just like the Israelites who perished in the wilderness after the exodus because they never entered the rest of God. And why didn't they enter the rest of God? One word. What was that word? Unbelief. They never really trusted in God. And if you're still living under the old covenant in any form or fashion, you're still not trusting in God. And so uh, he tells us that, uh, that we're to put away that old covenant. And if we neglect so great a salvation as, as we have in the new covenant, then we're in danger of hellfire. And so we've got to rest in the new covenant that God's made with us through Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. If you'll get rid of that old doohickey, if you'll get it totally out of your life, uh, Jesus Christ has some great things planned for you. I mean, listen to some of the things that he's told us he's going to do for us. He, 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 has, he has purged us of all our sins. What's all mean? All. All our sins, past, present, and future. He's taken care of our sins. He's given us eternal life. He saved us to the uttermost. He's anchored us. Where has he anchored us? In the very presence of God behind the veil. I mean, we can live in his very presence. And he ever lives to pray for those who are in the new covenant. If you put away the old covenant and you're, li you're living under the new covenant, he lives to pray for you. And that means I don't care what you're facing in life. How serious the problem is, it is going to, whether you believe it or not, it is going to work out for your good. And so what he's going to do as we, as we continue on in this, uh, in this study, he's going to show us just how much better the new covenant is than the old covenant and why we need to put it away. So, so let's go to chapter 8 and pick up in, in, in verse number 1. And he says, now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. What has he been saying? He's been talking about Jesus Christ as the high priest. The Jews were no longer under the Levitical priesthood, the Christian Jews. They have a new high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. And listen to what he says. He says, we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heavens. I mean, this is the main point. This is what he's trying to tell us, that Aaron and, and uh, his descendants are like an old flip phone. I mean, they're, they're outdated. They've been replaced by something, or actually someone infinitely greater than Aaron and his descendants. And so we're to put that old covenant away. And, and, and who, who, who replaced Aaron? Well, we have a high priest 
who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. What's, what's that mean? When he says that, what is he describing there? He's describing the throne of God. And so what he's saying is that God, as, as our high priest, has replaced Aaron as our high priest. Man, you see how infinite the difference is between the old covenant and the new covenant, between the old priesthood and the new priesthood? I mean, you've got a man on, on, as high priest, and then you've got God as high priest. Who's greater? God. There's no doubt about that. So then in verse number 2, he says, he says, he says, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Now, if you go back and you study the Pentateuch and you study about the old tabernacle and later on the temple that replaced the tabernacle, what you will learn is all of those things, and we'll see this in just a minute in the text, are shadows of the real thing. There's actually a real temple in heaven. There's, there's, and it's not made by man. It's made by God himself. And so he says, Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle. The tabernacle on earth and the temple on earth, this is what he's trying to show these Jews. Just like this church is nothing more than a building. This is, this, this is not the tabernacle of God, although I believe God is present with us. The true tabernacle of God is in heaven. And so he says, Jesus is a minister of a much greater sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. And so, uh, man, wouldn't you like to see that tabernacle? Wouldn't that be great? You remember Isaiah in chapter 6 when the heavens opened up and he saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne? I mean, how wonderful would that be? Remember uh, uh, John on the island of Patmos? He tried to describe it in words, but he had a, he had a hard time doing it. Paul was lifted up and in, in, uh, he was stoned in Ephesus and then he was... Uh, you know, brought up into the third heaven and he saw things that he couldn't even utter. He said, man, I can't even describe what I saw. I can't describe what I heard. I mean, what a glorious place that has to be. But you know what the most glorious thing in that tabernacle is? It is Jesus Christ in all his glory. He's our high priest sitting at the right hand of God. What's that mean he's at the right hand of God? Well, in Jewish thought, the right hand was symbolic of the power. If you had a son that sat at your right hand, he, had, he wielded the power of the throne. And so Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He, he actually sits on the throne because he is God. And he wields all the power of God. And he ministers in the real tabernacle, not erected by man, but erected by God. Now look at verse, look at verse number 3. He says, for every high priest is appointed to author both both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, Jesus Christ, who has, some, has also have something to offer. Now, what he's trying to say here, the old tabernacle and the old temple were a picture of the heavenly tabernacle. And so if they offered gifts in the earthly tabernacle, that means there had to be a gift offered in the heavenly tabernacle. Tabernacle. Now, what did they offer up as a gift to the Lord in the earthly tabernacle? They offered up the blood of bulls and goats. But the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of the world. And so they needed a greater offering in the heavenly tabernacle. And so what gift did Jesus, Jesus offered up? He offered up his own blood. And so 
he had to offer up a gift, and he couldn't even serve in the tabernacle on earth because look at verse number four. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer up the gifts according to the law. According to the law, you had to be a descendant of Aaron in order to be a high priest. And Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So he couldn't even serve in the earthly tabernacle, but he is king of the heavenly tabernacle. And that's the distinction he's making there. Now look at what he says in verse number 5, exactly what I said earlier. He says, who served the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For, he, for the Lord said to Moses, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. Not only was he given the law, he was given detailed instructions for the building of the tabernacle. And not only was he given detailed instructions for the building of the tabernacle, I believe that when he was up on that mountain, that dimension was opened up and the heavens were opened up, and he looked in there and he saw the heavenly tabernacle. Now, he's going to build the earthly tabernacle, and he's seen the heavenly tabernacle. And if you, if you look at the instructions, we're not going to go there today, but if you look at the instructions in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy for the building of the tabernacle, it was so intricate, it was so beautiful, it was so glorious because Moses had seen the real thing. He had seen the glorious tabernacle. And God had given him these detailed instructions, and he had no problem uh, administering the, the building of this tabernacle because he had seen the real thing. And he said, man, this has got to be as glorious as it possibly can in order to even approach the beauty of the real tabernacle. So, but, it, but even then, it was just a copy or a shadow of the real thing. Going on in verse number 6, he says, but now Jesus, he, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he, Jesus, is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Now what was the ministry the author's referring to here that was replaced by the new covenant? What was, what's the ministry that he's talking about? He's talking about the ministry of the old covenant. It says now he has attained a more excellent ministry. There was the ministry of the old covenant, and now there's the ministry of the new covenant. But it's interesting how he describes this. He's obtained a more excellent uh, ministry. How can you get more excellent? I mean, to me, when I think of excellent, I think of perfection. You know, the old covenant in God's eyes was absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. I mean, it was absolutely, it was perfectly just. It was perfectly righteous. Uh, it, was, it was perfectly fair. There was even mercy offered for those who failed to keep the covenant through the sacrificial system. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. Where did the problem come? We're not perfect. There was nothing wrong with the old covenant. In fact, God gave us the old covenant. He gave Jews the old covenant not to punish them, but because he loved them. He wanted them to live a, an abundant life in a relationship with him. He wanted them to be his people. And so he gave them the old covenant not as a curse, but as a blessing. 
Man, I tell you, there were all sorts of great promises associated with the Old Covenant. Let's, let's just look at a few of them. Go to the book of uh, Exodus and look in chapter number 19 in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Go all the way back to, hold your place in Hebrews. Go all the way back to chapter 19. I mean, can you get a greater promise than what he gives right here? Look, look, at, look at verse number 5. Look at verse number 5. He says, now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice, if you keep the, my, my, my covenant, if you keep the old covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. If you'll keep this covenant, you will be special to me. Special to God Almighty. You'll be special to me. What a deal. I mean, and then look at the blessings that he promises in this covenant. Go over to a few books back towards Hebrews to the book of Deuteronomy. And look in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I mean, let's just read some of this. Listen, listen to this. Look, follow me in Deuteronomy 28, picking up at verse number 1. It says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, you keep the, you keep the old covenant, to observe carefully all his commandments which I have commanded you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now watch what he says here. He says, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Wherever you live, you're going to be blessed. Blessed shall you shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. You're going to have prosperity in everything you do. Blessed shall be your, your, your basket and your kneading bowl, your cooking, whatever you do. Blessed shall, shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, your face. They shall come out against you one way, and they will flee before you seven ways. They'll be so scared of you. The Lord will command the blessing on you and in your storehouse and in all to which you set your hand, everything you do. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your, your God and walk in his ways, then all peoples of the earth shall, shall see that, they, that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and the produce of your ground in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you the good treasures of heaven and give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Uh-oh. That's a sign right there when a nation in trouble, when a nation begins to borrow. A nation that, that doesn't have God taking care of them anymore because you got to borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them, so you shall turn aside 
from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after the gods, other gods and to serve them. I mean, what great promises the Lord gives here. And all that was required was obedience. Obedience to the old covenant. That was it. That's all you had to do. Keep the Ten Commandments and you will be blessed beyond your wildest imagination. So see, there was nothing wrong with the covenant. The covenant was perfect. It was good. It was excellent. The problem wasn't with the old covenant. The problem was with us, with people. I mean, look at verse number 8. Go back to Hebrews. Look at verse, go to chapter 8. Look at verse number 8. What he says, he says, because finding fault with who? Not with the covenant, with them. They're the ones who failed to keep the covenant. It wasn't that the covenant was bad. It was that people are bad. What's our fault? What fault did he find in them? What fault does he find in, in us? Well, let me tell you why. I mean, I'll tell you the fault he finds in us. You know what? For the most part, we're pretty ungodly. We're, we're pretty rebellious. We, 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 we rebel against the Lord. And, and our failures as a human race are infinite. And so even the mercy of the sacrificial system was not enough to take care of all the failures to keep the old covenant. I mean, there was no way. I mean, there was no way. we. There wasn't enough blood of bulls and goats to cover all of our sins. And so there had to be a better covenant. So Jesus had to come and be a mediator of a better covenant and of better promises. I don't know how you can get better than excellent, but he says it's better than excellent. He's a more excellent covenant. And if he, Jesus hadn't come, what would happen to all of us? We would have all perished in hell. I mean, the whole human race would perish in hell without Jesus Christ. So thank goodness he's mediated a better covenant for us. And, and let me tell you why it's better. You know why it's better? Because under the new covenant, we get all the blessings. I didn't read the curses. There's another list in, of, of curses right behind those blessings. If you don't keep the covenant, and they'll scare you. But under the new covenant, we get all of the blessings and none of the curses. I mean, I mean it, 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 it's, it's better than excellent. Yeah, it was excellent, but this is better than excellent. Now, what blessings do we get? Well, again, back in Hebrews chapter 8, let's look at how much better this covenant is. Look down at verse number 7. He says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. I mean, if men could have been saved by keeping the law, then there was no need for another covenant. There was no need for Jesus to die on the cross. That's exactly what Paul says over in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. He says, for if the law could have given us eternal life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But, but the law couldn't give us eternal life. What gave us eternal life? Jesus Christ on a cross dying for every single one of our sins. Every single one of our sins, past, present, and future. And if he did not die on that cross, we would still be under a curse. And so he says in the next verse, finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, if you notice in your Bibles, in most Bibles, that's going to be in italics right there. And the reason it's in italics is because he's quoting from another scripture. He's actually quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31. Now, if you remember the setting in Jeremiah chapter 31, what had happened? The Jew, had they kept the old covenant? No, they had not kept the old covenant. And what happened? God came in eventually and he destroyed them and sent the remnant off into captivity. So when Jeremiah is writing here in chapter 31, I mean, they've gone into the Babylonian captivity. And so uh, he's writing and, and what he's saying right here is, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, you look at the situation and it looked like Israel was done. I mean, the, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem. They had destroyed the temple. They had taken the people captivity. And it looked as if they were done. But God says, he gives them encouragement. Way back here in the book of Jeremiah, and he says, I'm not done with my people. They couldn't keep the old covenant. And they were punished because they couldn't keep the old covenant. But yet I'm not done with them. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, what's that new covenant? Look at verse number 9. He says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Now, what was the covenant that the Jews were given as they were taken by the hand of the Lord out of Egypt and into the wilderness. What covenant were they given? They were given the old covenant, the covenant of law. Keep the law and you'll be blessed. Don't keep the law and you'll be cursed. And when they were given the law, you remember what all the people said? What did they say? All these words which the Lord has said, we will do. In other words, hey, this isn't that hard. We can keep the old covenant. We can live by the law. There are people today in churches today that say they live by the law. No, you don't live by the law because you've got to take the law to God's standard. I mean, God says if you're angry with your brother without cause, you've committed murder. If you look at a woman with lust who's not your wife, you've committed adultery. If you look at a man with lust who's not your husband, you've committed adultery. And so this standard is so much higher, and nobody could keep that standard because we have a sin nature. And so there had to be a new covenant, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day which I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they, did, they couldn't continue in that covenant. No matter what they said, they couldn't do it. And so uh, it, says, it says, in my covenant, and I disregarded them, I caused them to be destroyed, says the Lord, but not utterly destroyed. Not utterly destroyed. You know, when they made that claim, all these things we will do, let me, it's still a, still a line from uh, True Grit. I mean, that's bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. I mean, that's bold talk for a bunch of Jews who a week later would be building a golden calf and worshiping it and having an orgy. So, so uh, all those things they couldn't do. There was no way they could do all of those things. They weren't going to keep that covenant. And so they needed a new covenant. I mean, they needed a totally new covenant. And, and, and at this point, it looks like they're destroyed. But God promises them better things. Here's the good news for the Jews. 
And here's the good news for us. If the old covenant was it, and God had said at the beginning, this is for all of mankind, you keep the law, I'll bless you. You don't keep the law, I'll curse you. You keep the law perfectly, you'll get to go to heaven when you die and live with me. If that was the only covenant, the Jews would have been done because they had failed at keeping that covenant. You and I would have been done because we would never keep the covenant either. I mean, Adam and Eve couldn't even, keep, they couldn't even just keep from eating a piece of fruit. You know, I mean, I mean, all of us are rebels. I mean, all of us, we're given a choice, we're going to eventually rebel. And when we rebel, we've sinned, and the wages of sin, it's not sins, sin is death. And so eventually we would all die. But here's the good news for the Jew. There was another covenant, a covenant that God had made with Abraham. And it was a unilateral covenant. When I say unilateral covenant, what I mean by that is God made all the promises. He promised Abraham great blessings, and he didn't ask for anything in return. This is what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. This is what I'm going to do. You remember when he made that covenant, and I'm not going to go through the whole scene, but the phrase cutting a covenant comes from that scene in Genesis chapter 17. What was Abraham doing when God made the covenant? Do you remember? He was sleeping. He couldn't even say, I'll do this. I mean, he was asleep. And you know what, it's, you know what the covenant, you know in the covenant, what the Lord said when he made that covenant? He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in the generations for an everlasting covenant. What's everlasting mean? Everlasting. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I'm making an everlasting covenant with you, Abraham. It's based upon my promise. That's all it's based upon. All you have to do is believe my promise. Belief. See, that's what got the Jews, and that's what gets a lot of other people because the promise is there for all of us. The promise is there that God will give us, we can be part of the Abrahamic covenant because the new covenant is a covenant of faith. It's like the Abrahamic covenant. It's based upon one thing, and that's that we believe in Jesus Christ. Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's all you've got to do. You've got to believe. You don't have to be a good boy, a good little boy and girl in order to get saved. You just have to believe. Now, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen when you believe. You're going to end up being a good little boy and a good little girl. Because God is going to change you. He's going to give you a totally new nature. And so, so, so that's, that's part of the new covenant. Now, under the old covenant, there never would have been an everlasting nation because they were doomed to fail. God knew when he gave them that covenant they were doomed to fail. But he also knew that there had to be a better covenant, that the new covenant would come through the promise of the Messiah. Now, going on with the new covenant, look at verse number 10. Look at what he says there. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will, watch this. Look how good this is. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I mean, the main reason that the new covenant is better than the old covenant is that we're given the very life of God. If you're a born-again believer, 
you've been given the life of God. If you're not a born-again believer, all you have to do is believe and you will receive the very life of God. I mean, what did the law do? The law condemned, the letter, the letter condemns, the law, the law condemns us to death because the law could never give us life. But let me tell you what happens. God gives you life and the life gives you the law. You catch that? Law can't give you life, but life can give you the law. Because when you have the life of God, the law becomes part of your very being. It becomes part of who you are. Do you realize that the new nature in you, if you're born again, is absolutely perfect? Absolutely perfect. It cannot sin. Now, why do I sin? Because you still have your flesh. God doesn't redeem the flesh. He redeems your nature. The new nature in you cannot sin. I mean, well, why do I keep sinning? Because you still have a fleshly mind and a fleshly heart and fleshly desire, and you, get, you have a choice. That new nature has a choice. It can let the flesh rule or you can let the spirit rule. You, you either walk by the spirit and, and, and you put away the deeds of the flesh or you walk by the flesh and you fulfill the deeds of the flesh. It's one of the two, and that's a choice we make. That's a choice we make every moment of every day. Thank goodness, though, that, that, hey, this covenant gets even better look, look, looking on. I mean, thank goodness that even when we sin, that sin's been taken care of. Thank goodness. Why has it been taken care of? Because look at the last part of verse number 10. They, I will be their God, and they will be my people. You know what Jesus, you know what John said in John chapter 1, I believe verse number 12, for as many that have received Jesus Christ of them, he gave them power to become sons and daughters of God. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, you've been given the power to become a son and daughter of God. I mean, for how long? How long is that covenant? That is an everlasting covenant. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you truly put your trust in him and you truly rest in him, you're made a child of God forever. Is there any condemnation for a child of God? There is no condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, for those who are in Jesus Christ, those who are called according to his purpose, those who are children of God. There's no condemnation. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Look at verse number 11. He says in verse number 11, he says, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, that doesn't mean you don't have teachers. Obviously, you have teachers. That's what I'm doing here today. But he says, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, know the Lord. That's what I can't teach you to do. That's a choice you make. I can't teach you how to know the Lord. If you're born again, you know the Lord. He says, he says none of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, know the Lord. And for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. Man, you talk about a great reason uh, that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Everyone who's under the new covenant knows God. Every person knows God. Under the old covenant, did everybody know God? No, only a select few knew God. And, and so there were intermediaries between God and man. There were, there were the priest, the Levitical priest, the high priest, the sacrificial system. There were all these things, and very few people had any kind of relationship with God. But under the new covenant, there's no intermediary between God and man except Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? He is God. So if you know Jesus Christ, you know God. 
You know, when people come up to me, and, and, I, and they do it all the time, and I, I don't want to discourage you from asking me to pray for you, because I, I love to pray. I, don't, I mean, I pray for people. I, I want to pray for people. And we want to pray for each other. The Bible exhorts us to do that as believers. But when you approach it as if I somehow have a closer relationship to you, to God than you do, you're wrong in that. That worries me. If you think somehow I'm going to have a relationship with God that you don't have, I wonder about your salvation a little bit. Because it's real clear that under the new covenant, you know God. And I can't teach you to know God. There's no way I can teach you to know God. As a pastor, I can teach you the Bible, but I don't have any more access to God than you do. I mean, if you're born again, you know God. And if you don't know you know God, you don't know God. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're not walking and talking with God and you need me to talk to God for you, I mean, I certainly will talk to God for you, and I'm not saying I don't want to do that, but you've got a problem, a spiritual problem. Because you got just as much access to God as I do. And you know that if you're born again. You're sitting here today and you say, well, I don't you know, I don't know that I know God. Well, then, I, 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 man, you're probably not resting totally in Jesus Christ. You're probably not born again. Because, man, if you're born again, you know God. Sometimes you don't like God. There's some things God does in my life that I don't like. There's some things that God does that make me mad that I don't agree with, but I know God. And I believe that, I do believe that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And I do believe that God carries a big stick, a big belt. And if he directs me some way and I decide I don't like it and I'm not going to go that way, I will experience his, his discipline. You call it whatever you want to call it. But he disciplines those he loves. If he doesn't discipline you, you're not a child of God. You know God because God's just part of your life. And, 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 and if you don't know God, then, 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 hey, man, make that today the day you get to know God. And all you've got to do is believe. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and believe. And, and I don't care who you are in this world, small or great. If you're God's child, you're great. In his eyes. You're great in his eyes. He loves you as much as he loved Billy Graham, as much as he loves the Apostle John, as much as he loves the Apostle Paul. He loves you every bit as much as that. He wants good for you, and if he wants good for you, he's going to get good for you. That, again, might not be good in your eyes, but it's going to be good. He's got good plans for you. Verse number 12, he says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Oh, man, I love this last sentence right here. And their lawless sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Can it get any better than that? Your sins he remembers no more. Was that the case in the Old Testament? No. I mean, in the Old Covenant? No. You know what Jesus said about the Old Covenant? And, and he was speaking to everybody in this world who's not saved. He says, in the judgment, you will give an account for every deed and every word that you've done in your life. Every deed and every word, even every idle word. Words that you think 
really don't matter. They're still, your sound waves are still floating right up to heaven. And one day you're going to, if you're not a born-again believer, you're going to give an account for everything you've ever done in your life. And here's the bad news on that front. The wages of sin is eternal death. Not sins. It's not how many good things you did versus how many bad things you did. The wages of sin is death. But man, look at the new covenant. Look at the new covenant. Their, law, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That means they've been put away forever. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far your sins have been removed from God. He no longer holds any sin against you. Does that mean that God just winks at our sins and throws them under the rug? No. No, your sins and my sins were placed on Jesus Christ. The punishment for your sins and the punishment for my sins was meted out to Jesus Christ on the cross. They were placed on him at the cross. He suffered and died for your sin. And, man, if you reject that, don't tell me there's some other way to heaven other than through Jesus Christ. God would not have gotten on a cross and spilled his blood for you if there was any other way. If the law could have made you righteousness, I mean, given you eternal life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But it can't come by the law because you can't keep the law. And so the only way for you to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And once you receive Jesus Christ, your sins and lawless deeds are totally forgiven. He remembers them no more. Man, why would you ever want to go back to any kind of covenant but the new covenant? Verse number 12. Am I at 12? Yeah. No, I can't be at 13. Yeah, I am at 13. <laughs> I want to keep going. We're going to have to finish here. And that he says... A new covenant, he, and in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. By saying there's a new covenant, he's made the first one totally obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It's ready to disappear. It's got to be put away. Actually, what the author was doing here, now, if you, if you look at this, if you looked at the tenses and everything, he was talking about the priest doing this and priests grant, give gifts in the temple. So we know at the point that the author was writing this, the temple was still standing. But actually, in this last verse, he's prophesying the destruction of the temple. He's saying that, he's saying it's about to vanish away. The, the, the law the Levitical priesthood, the sacrificial system is about to be no more. They're about to vanish away. Uh, a lot of scholars believe this book was written after the destruction of the temple. There's no way. There's a lot of scholars that believe, and I think they're right, that, that this was written somewhere around 60 A.D. And one of the reasons I think Paul wrote it and not some later writer that they try to attribute it to but that prophecy was exactly uh, on cue. 
because it was just a few years later in 66 AD that the Jews mounted a major rebellion against the Roman Empire. Nero was emperor and he sent some generals there to fight the Jews and it looked like the Jews were winning and then Nero committed suicide and he was replaced by Vespasian. And Vespasian sent Titus to lay siege against Jerusalem. And in 68 AD, the walls were breached and the Roman army marched into Jerusalem and they slaughtered everybody inside. Most of the people, many of the people had died from famines and you really want to get a great uh, history lesson on what happened here. Uh, read Josephus' writings on the destruction of the, the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But, but uh, he gives some pretty vivid horror stories that took place even before the walls were breached. But once the walls were breached, they went to the temple and they began to burn the temple down. And there was so much gold in the temple that the gold began to, to flow out onto the streets. And so that's why, when, remember Jesus said no stone would be left unturned? That's why they, they went through all the stones looking to see if there was more gold hidden somewhere in the temple. And so every stone was, was left unturned. So Jesus goes on and he says, he says, in that battle for Jerusalem, 1,100,000 Jews died. 97,000 prisoners were taken. The strongest adults were made gladiators. The weakest were fed to the beast in the arena. I'm quoting him. And those under 17 years of age were made slaves. 97,000 survivors, and most of them didn't survive. No more temple. No more sacrificial system. No more Levitical priesthood. Obviously, at that point, there was no more old covenant. It was over for the Jew. There couldn't be an old covenant. You can't have an old covenant without a sacrificial system. What do you do with your sins? If you can't make sacrifices, what do you do with your sins? I mean, if you were to ask a Jew today, are you under the old covenant or are you under the new covenant? They'll be quick to tell you, I'm under the old covenant. Well, my response back to them very quickly is, what do you do with your sin? Because you don't have a temple. Now, we know that, or I, I don't know you can be sure of that. I'm not going to get into all the revelation uh, workings on the temple. But, but it's, it's, it looks like there's going to be a third temple built. doesn't have to be because that word temple is, is uh, naos, which means the holy part of the temple. So it could be, be referring to the holy place. You know, that the, the Antichrist sets his foot on the holy place. But it looks like maybe there's going to be a third temple built. But, and there'll be a, if there's a third temple built, there'll be a sacrificial system again. But at that point, see, that's another reason I believe in the rapture. You don't, we don't need a sacrificial system if we've been born again. We've had, Jesus is our one-time sacrifice for all our sins, past, present, and future. You understand if you were to participate in a sacrificial system that you'd be trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ? You would be saying that his blood is not enough. And so, so they, you know, the Jew has no way to atone for his sins now in the, in the, in, when the new temple is built. They will be, but man, that's the time of Jacob's trouble. That's the time of the great tribulation. I don't plan on being here. I saw where Am Graham Lotz said this past week that she believes 
the rapture is about to take place at any moment and that judgment is coming to America. Any moment. I don't want to see judgment come to America, but I sure want to see the rapture come to America. I want some of you to come to church next Sunday and you be the only ones. No, I want us all to be out of here. I mean, I figured Winford, never mind. <laughs> no, Winford probably be up for, I'll probably be the only one staying in here. I'll where is everybody? <laughs> you know, here's the problem. There's a world out there of unbelievers who are really trying to live under the old covenant. When somebody tells you I'm a pretty good person, you understand what they're saying? I'm under the old covenant, and pretty good, I think, will get me into heaven. Well, what you think doesn't mean anything, because God says only perfect enters heaven. There will be no sin or sinners in heaven. Only those who are perfected in Jesus Christ will be in heaven. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and they're still trying to hang on to the old covenant. I mean, they see it, I, I mentioned this earlier, they see the, a need for a priesthood. There's a denomination, and, and several denominations, where, where the pastor somehow or the priest somehow has more access to God than, than, than you do. You don't, a priest can't teach you to know God. He can't help you to know God other than give you the gospel and you receive Jesus Christ. That's how you know God. There's people who still think they're under law. I hear pastors. There's a pastor on t TV. I'm not going to tell you his name, but he gets up and he has these charts of the old covenant and talks about how we're still under the old covenant. Man, if you're under the old covenant, you're in deep trouble. If you're trying to keep the Ten Commandments, you've either lowered the bar or you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself in both cases. You're not going to keep the old covenant. I'm not under law. I'm under grace in Jesus Christ. There's people who will tell you that somehow you're out of fellowship with God until you confess your sins. Now, I don't believe in confession of sins, but does confession of your sins make you any more righteous than you are now in Jesus Christ? No. You're perfected forever. How much better can you get in perfect if you're in Jesus Christ? How much better can you get in perfect? You can't get better in perfect. There are people that will tell you that, that God, and, and you know what, I think on a practical basis a lot of us live like this. That if good things happen, or if I'm good, then good things are going to happen to me always. No, that's old covenant. No, bad things happen to fine Christians. Or somehow, if I'm good, God loves me more. If when I'm bad, he loves me less. God can't love you any more than he loves you loves you right now. And then there are those who think that God somehow keeps a record of your sins. There's no record of your sins. I believe there's a record of your service to God, and I believe you'll be rewarded based upon your works, and some of it will be hay and stubble and burn up, and some of it will be gold. But, but there's no record of your sins. He says, I, your sin, sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Can it, can it, why would we ever want to go back to an old covenant? Man, I remember the first time I saw an iPhone. 
I'm not trying to do commercials here for smartphones. But man, I said that's my, my, one of my older sons had one. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I was carrying around a phone like Winford's at the time. And, and I said, man, that, is, that, is, that, that phone is just so cool. And they called them smartphones, and I understood that mine was a dumb phone at that time. And, and, and why? There's so much better. An iPhone or any of these smartphones are so much better than a flip phone. I mean, I, I learned real quickly, man, I can do so much more than just make calls and text on my smartphone. Man, I, I figured out all sorts of things I can do. I can check my email. I can, I can look at the weather. I can read the newspaper. I can take pictures. I can do movies. I can make, I can make bank deposits. I can make bank transfers. I can, I can uh, shop online. Uh, it's a compass. It's a computer. Uh, I mean, it's a calculator. I mean, it's so much better than a flip phone. So when I got my iPhone, you know where my flip phone went? It's, it's still sitting there. It went into a drawer. You hear this, Winford? It went into a drawer, and it's never going to come out of that drawer. I'm just letting it rot right in that drawer. I mean, I've put away that obsolete old doohickey. You know, as great as the difference is between a flip phone and a smartphone, the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant is infinite greater why would you ever go back under law put away that obsolete doohickey rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and open up the heart of your soul wide because God wants to greatly bless you let's go to the Lord in prayer father we just thank you for the fact we do have a new covenant. Lord, we can never keep the old. We can never live up to your standards. You gave us a shot, Lord, as a human race, and, and we failed. But Lord, in your mercy and your love, you also gave us the cross. Lord, you died for every single one of our sins on that cross, past, present, and future. You've given us your life Lord, you've anchored our souls in your very presence. You've made us your very children. Lord, why would we ever want anything else? Father, we just thank you for the new covenant. Lord, when we thank you for the new covenant, we're thanking you for Jesus Christ. We're thanking you for his life and his blood and just all that he is to us. And thank you that we can know you through him. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.